It's hard to stop rebels that time travel. But we at the Time Council pride ourselves on doing just that. Welcome to the Living Museum, where legendary rebels from throughout history have been frozen in suspended animation. Here in this particular exhibit, you'll find members of Wonderland and their notorious leader, Janelle Monet, along with her dangerous accomplice, Badula Oblongata. Together, they launched Project Queen, a musical weapons program in the 21st century. Researchers are still deciphering the nature of this program and hunting the various freedom movements that Wonderland disguised as songs, emotion pictures, and works of art. Welcome back, loves. Thank you for tuning in or streaming or downloading Blooming Out on WFHB 91.3 FM in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm Cal Demery, and today I'm all by myself. Both Justin and Melanie have decided to forsake me to the depths of loneliness. So, well, I'm lying. I'm not technically alone because my producer, Kate is here. <laughs> How's it going? I'm glad to be here with you, Cal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Justin and Melanie's absence is very much felt. Um, both of them had prior engagements today, just leaving you off a little old me. Um, and I'm a little bit nervous about it. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> we're, we're in this together and it's Fall Fun Drive. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of live radio. So, you know, it's live. That's the great thing about it. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, just like Kate said, it is Fun Drive this week. Um, so I'm so thrilled to be on a show like Blooming Out on WFHB Community Radio. And we would not exist without the generous contributions from our listeners. Blooming Out is one of the nation's longest-running LGBTQIA plus focused radio shows. Think about that. One of the longest-running queer radio shows in the nation here in Bloomington. And that's pretty awesome, and we are super proud to be here. And we started nearly 20 years ago in 2003, and we continue to thrive thanks to donations from people like you to make WFHB Community Radio. So please consider donating again this year for our fun drive. And if you never donated, now is the time. If you like us, also if you like news, events, people, entertainment relevant to the queer community, then please show us your support and appreciation by donating to the community radio station that makes it all happen. And that has supported our cause for over two decades. I'm 21, so I've been around one year longer than this show has. <laughs> right, right, and I'm 24, so very similar here, Cal. <laughs> I feel sorry for Justin because I know he's listening and this isn't probably making him cry because he feels old. <laughs> we appreciate you, Justin. <laughs> appreciate your wisdom. <laughs> so the easiest way to donate is to go to our, our website, WFHB.org, and click on the big red donate button. It's big and it's red. You can't miss it. Or you can call us. You can call us at 812-323-1200. And Cal, I'm going to say that one more time for you out there listening. That number is 
323-1200. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure you tell them that Blooming Out sent you. Thank you for continuing continuing to make WFHB ad-free and community-oriented. And we think that you are fabulous. <laughs> I love that. So today, like I said, I'm all by myself. And, but that also meant I had all the power over the show today. So I got to make all the decisions. It's too much power. <laughs> and because I am a history nerd, I wanted to do an LGBTQIA plus history segment. And I wanted to focus on bisexual history because I feel like a lot of people say that bisexual ha- history like obviously happened, but we don't talk about it. At least my circle doesn't talk about it. Something I'm trying to change. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about today. And before I start and tell you who I want to talk about, I'm going to give a little disclaimer that just because historical figures are queer does not mean they were great people. <laughs> and me, Blooming Out, WFHB, we don't condone bad, <laughs> bad actions. Um, and I want to talk about, like, gay cowboys, but I promised Justin I would wait until he was here to do it. So tune in in the future so you can talk about that. <laughs> um, but today I want to talk about the amazing, insane, shocking person that was um, Julie de Brony. So that's a French name, so I'm going to apologize up front for my French. I'm just going to call her Julie. So a lot about what we know about Julie came from a lot of rumors during her life and after her life. And so a lot of it is kind of embellished and it's kind of hard for us to really tell what's real, what's not, what's fabricated, etc. That doesn't mean, though, that her legacy isn't amazing because this lady was insane. <laughs> um, so she was born in um, around 1670-ish, and we know that she died in 1707 at age 33. So, And she's also French. So at this time, this is prior to the French Revolution, and it's during the reign of King Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, you know, the dude who spent all the money for Louis Sixteenth to get his head chopped off. And now Julie was most known for being an opera singer in um, the op- uh, Paris Opera, but she was also a fierce swordswoman. She was a nun for a time, and just a professional bad booty. Okay, <laughs> her father trained court pages, which. A court page is kind of like a squire. I'm so sorry for all those medieval history nerds out there. (laughs) Um, They trained the boys that would become knights. Right. In the aristocracy. So her father trained them to be like, she trained them in sword fighting and how to take care of horses and how to fight and everything that was expected of a young man in that time. And he was a single father. So when he had Julie, he was like, I'm just going to train you alongside the boys. So she got the traditional female education, but also went around and learned all the boy education. And because of this, she started dressing in masculine clothing. But she was always very confident and strong in saying that she was a woman, but she just liked to dress in men's clothes. So that's why I'm going to use she, her, because she said that she is a woman. Um, but we all, what we also know about her is that she is self-proclaimed liking both men and women. So I'm going to use the term sapphic for lack of a better term. Um, but she herself like confirmed that. So we know that for sure. We know that she was a woman who dressed in men's clothing and we know that she liked men and women. So I want to give you a timeline of her life 
So as a young woman, like I said, she trained the boy subject. And while doing that, she picked up sword fighting or fencing, um, horseback riding. She learned Greek and Latin and the classics. Um, she learned logic and math, history, religion, geography, reading, writing, dancing, music, um, calisthenics. But also she learned the girl side, which is like needlework, laundry and house chores, dancing, um, arithmetic, how to read and cast accounts, um, how to plan events, how to manage servants, see operations over a farm or a dairy or something. Um, just She just could do everything. Right, a jack of all trades, so to speak, right? Yeah. Um, now, she was also really, really known for having this horrible temper. Like, she would get mad over the littlest thing and just blow her top. This lady really needed some anger management classes. But she was a, she was a lady in, you know, the 17th century. So yeah. anger management classes didn't exist, but she had access to her sword. Right, and there seems like there would be a lot to be angry about as a woman in the 17th century. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, to her to her credit. Yeah. So she became very good at fencing, like I said. And at 14, um, she allegedly allegedly became the Count d'Amenac's lover. And he was 49, married, and already had kids. So I'm a little confused about the situation because, you know, sources said a lot of things. So I hate to use the word allegedly became his lover it's like she was 14 he was 49 we know what was going on but this happened um and after this event she got married to a man named monsieur de maupin who was a tax collector and she hated him she thought he was a wimp like he did not like her and they only like stayed like physically together in one location for a very short amount of time and then he went off on a quote-unquote business trip. And we don't see him for a long time after that. So she goes to Paris. So she was at Versailles, now she's at Paris. It's 20 miles apart. So at that time, like, a lifetime's journey. <laughs> um, so she goes to Paris, and she is a married woman, so she has, like, these rights that she wouldn't have married, un unmarried. But because her husband's not there, and she's the head of the household, she has, she could just do not maybe whatever she wants, but a lot more freedom than the average woman would. And so, yeah, so she's in Paris, entertaining, being very unique, and she meets this fencing master named Serer. Um, and they get together, are like, I like you, you like me, let's date. So they run off together, and they start, they make their money by um, demonstrating fencing and dueling and stuff, you know, just being those type of entertainers. And because she was dressing in masculine clothes, everyone was like, okay, you have to be like a, like a pretty boy in men's clothing pretending to be a woman. Like, there's no way a woman could, like, be this good at fencing, so you must be a guy in disguise. Well, she didn't take a like to that, so she just, like, cut open her shirt, showed herself off, and would fence Sirer exposed to prove a point. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> this is only the beginning, y'all. <laughs> um, so, already very controversial, especially for the time. So, following her escapades across France with Serer, she joins the opera in Marseille. And she joins as a singer. Now, Julie was not classically trained. 
she knew the basics of music, but that was like not her profession she was raised to do. But because she was so beautiful and had such a pretty voice, she automatically got put into like the lead. Imagine being a chorus person and just this random chick comes in and just gets the lead. Right, who's seemingly just gifted at all of these amazing things, right? Yeah. Oh, God, I would hate this woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, she joins the Marseille Opera as a soprano, um, as a lead soprano. And so she's very, she's very much loved by the audience, and she's performing one day, and she catches the eye of a girl in the audience. This girl catches her eye. It's love at first sight. And so they start dating. Um, and the girl's family is like, no, we don't want this for our daughter. This woman is controversial. She's um, an artist, a singer. And at that time, like, opera singers did not have the same status that they do today. They were kind of seen as, um, like, escorts, even if they didn't. I see. I see. That makes sense. You know? Yeah. So it's just this connotation. Right. So this family was like, oh, we don't want our daughters consorting with this woman. And so they, tur- so they turn around and are going to send their daughter to a convent in Avignon. If you know nothing about history, a convent would be the worst place to send someone, a girl, you don't want to engage in a same-sex relationship. <laughs> it's the worst place. because It's like sending a girl to Catholic school. Okay? <laughs> it is the worst place. So, because convents are historically incredibly queer. It's a place where women are in power. It's a place where a lot of women went to escape having to marry a man. So a lot of queer women just ended up there. Or queer folk presenting as women, you know. Um, And it was also a place where women could be academics. Like, even if you were straight and you're just like, I'm this sucks in this time period, you know, I want to go do have more freedom, you go to a nunnery and become a nun, and you could be a teacher. You could teach university classes as a nun because you're considered married to God. Right, and have access to all those books that you would, you might have at the convent, right? Yeah, and there's a ton of stories about lesbian nuns. It's a wild story, and we'll get maybe get into that another day if Cade and Melanie allow me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this girl's family sends her to Avignon to be in this convent and Julie follows and she goes to Avignon under the press under the guise that she wants to become a student there. So they're at the convent, they're meeting in secret. The family doesn't know. And Julie gets super bored with convent life. You can imagine this woman used to be like the head of the Marseille opera and now she's living in a convent. So she and her girlfriend are like, we got to break out because you can't just leave a convent. I mean, you can now, but like you can't, (laughs) then you couldn't just leave a convent. You had to like escape. So they hatched this wild plan. And if this actually happened or not, this is one of the things we aren't sure about. So apparently they stole the body of a recently deceased nun, put it in the girl's bed and lit the bed on fire. (laughs) And... Caught, and like it caught the body on fire and it caught the in- entire convent on fire and they burned the entire convent to the ground and took off on a horse together. Oh my, <laughs> what a story. And apparently there's allegations that Julie also like had to battle a bunch of people during this and like killed and wounded a bunch of people. Oh my God. Yeah. 
and all these cubs. So they go missing for a few months and hiding. And then the girl goes back to her family because she ju- dumped Julie. Think about that. Going all the way through that for your girlfriend just for her to turn around and dump you. Wow. <laughs> to go through those great lengths. Right? Yeah. And she tells the family everything what happened. So this means that the local government then has reason to go find Julie and arrest her because she kidnapped a nun, essentially. So the local government gets captures Julie and they sentence her to death by fire as like reaction for her crimes. But they didn't call her Julie D'Aubernay. They called her Monsieur de Bernard. They didn't want to identify her as a woman because they were embarrassed. So they called her Monsieur, which means like a man. Yeah, mister. Uh, but she ends up getting pardoned. She ends up getting pardoned. It's not really clear why, which is why I'm wondering if the story is real. <laughs> wow, yeah. And I wonder if there's more to it. And, and so much time has passed, right? It's hard to verify. But nonetheless, it's such an interesting anecdote. Yeah. Given her, you know, seemingly like fairy tale story, you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. it's so epic that it would be consistent with some of the other details in her life, right? Yeah, exactly. So after this, we know she kind of went missing for a while, and then she turns up in um, Spain. But right before that happens, she meets a man named um, Comte Diabert, and he thought she was a man. And so he challenges her to her duel, and she beats him, like, really badly. And then she nurses him back to health and then became lovers for a little bit. Like... What? <laughs> That's a rebound if I ever heard one. Right, right. Um, and then after that, she Julie starts taking singing lessons with this guy named Gavia Vincent Threnaud, and he gets her into the Paris Opera. Okay, both of them are singers, so he gets them both in the Paris Opera. Guess how old she is at this point? How old? 17. 17, and it's already living this fantastical <laughs> adventure of a life. This is. She's a dancing queen at this point. Like, right. come on. <laughs> that's wild. 17 years young. That's, that's yeah. amazing. And she was so famous. Like, the public loved her. They called him um, Mademoiselle de, de Mapon. And Mapon was her husband's last name, but she was known as, like, the Mapon. Um, but because she was young, everyone called her Mademoiselle. Also, like, her husband wasn't around. So despite the fact that she was married, they caught her miss. So shortly after that, and she's like on and off again with this Gabrielle dude, but you know, she doesn't commit. She doesn't commit yet. Um, so she's at the Paris opera and then she gets an invite to a ball that's held by the King. King, remember like King Louis the 14th. And she goes to this ball dressed as a man, like in men's clothing. And sometimes she dressed in men's com- women's clothing, sometimes men's. It, it swapped. So she attends this ball dressed as a man. And she gets there. She sees this very pretty woman out on the dance floor. So she goes up to her. They start chatting. And she starts dancing with her. She seduces her. She kisses her in front of everyone on the dance floor. So, yeah. <laughs> and then there was three men who were interested in this lady, in this noble woman. And so they challenged Julie to a duel, all three of them against her, because they felt slighted. I don't know why they felt slighted when there was three of them. Right. Like, it'd be one thing it was maybe like a fiance, but like, this is three men <laughs> who are otters. And why are they attacking her and not each other? Right. Um, so she's, so they challenged her to a duel. She's like, okay, let's go outside. Let's do it. 
and she beats all three of them. Like it was a duel, like a three against one duel. She beat all of them. Wow. I'm not quite sure how that happened. I don't know if she had like three guns or like boom, boom, boom. I'm a little confused, <laughs> but she beat him. And she got in trouble for this because like dueling's a no-no at that time. Like yeah. especially at a royal ball. So like she goes back in. King Louis like, yo, I told you you're not supposed to do this. He is so put up with her. Because remember, her father's works for him. Like, he's known of her his entire, like, her entire life. And so he's like, really? Like, I told you you can't do this. I won't punish you because you're a woman, but, like, come on. Let, let's stop it. Um, so she goes to Brussels because she's like, she, she, she's getting out of there. She knows what's safe and what's not. So she goes to Brussels. In Brussels, she has a short summer fling with someone. The Elector of Bavaria, which that's, like, their mayor. So she's just getting, she's just having everyone crush on her. Right. It <laughs> seems like, you know, she can't miss in some kind of way, you know? And he dumped her again. Like she got dumped again. Oh no. And he dumped her because she was doing the stage production in Brussels. And to be dramatic, talk about a dr- drama queen. She stabs herself on stage. And so that's why he broke up with her. Oh my Lord. <laughs> So, okay. So then she goes to Madrid, Spain. So she's traveling all over the continent at this point. She goes to Madrid, Spain and becomes made to Countess Morano, who's her own interesting character. And like I said, this, this is 17th century, um, she, uh, about 20 years before Marie Antoinette. So we think of like they have these big hair and the wigs and really like embellished, decorative, intense wigs. So Julie was a maid to this countess and was one of the people who helped with the hair. And Julie hated this woman, like hated her. I, it doesn't, I cannot find out why she hated her, but Countess Mariana is kind of known as a um, not so nice word in the history books, right. which I don't know if that's accurate or just misogyny, but who knows? Yeah. But apparently Julie hated her. So one day they're prepping for this ball in Madrid and he put, she puts radishes in this woman's hair as decorations. And, like, apparently Julie told her it was, like, the hot new thing to do. And at this time, they would put all sorts of weird things in their hair. And there was different weird styles. Like, they would style hair into boats. Yeah, I've seen that like, with Marie Antoinette with their hair kind of styled into, like, a ship. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah. So she puts radishes in this woman's hair. And at the ball, this woman's completely embarrassed everyone's laughing at her for putting radishes in her hair and julie knows what's up she by the time after the countess left the room she fled back to paris she was not getting trouble but she had her revenge um so she gets back to paris king makes sure she's pardoned for everything so she returns to the paris opera you think that's the end of her life but it's not Um, she's at the Paris Opera. She meets a man named Dumel, and she gets in a fight with him because he was being creepy with the chorus girls. Yeah, being a gross dude. And so she waited until he was walking out of the Paris Opera at night, and she mugged him. Like, out of nowhere, mugged him and stole his pocket watch and a bunch of other stuff he had. Wow. So the next morning, he comes in late to work, and he's all bruised up. You know, there's bloody notes. Like, you can imagine. And he comes in and everyone's like, oh my goodness, what happened? And he's like, three men mugged me and robbed me. 
And he's like, you should be sorry for me because like these three men, these three like criminals like attacked me. And Julie's having none of it. She's like, no, you're a liar. Right. I did it. And he's like, prove it. And so she throws the pocket watch at him in front of everyone. It's like, there, have your stuff back. Wow. Yeah. That's like chivalry flipped on its head or something. You know <laughs> exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she does that in front of everyone. And then a little bit later, while still at the Paris Opera, there's this other opera singer named Frecon Monroe, who was a soprano. Um, so, like, she's female. And she, Julie comes like obsessively in love with this woman. And she's like, no, I don't like you. So apparently Julie like tried to unalive herself because of this, but lived, but lived. And then on that same day, she went home and attacked her landlord for not cooking her dinner. Why? Wow. (laughs) It's a bad day for this woman. Taking some L's, you know? Yeah, really. And so she, she attacks her she, she attacks her landlord because he didn't make dinner for her and then to get away from it goes back to court in Versailles and following that at some point we know that she if you remember the guy who got her into the Paris Opera um, that guy Gabrielle at some point they were on stage like uh, doing a scene together and he's and uh, there was a lot of improv at that not there was some improv at that time and she had a horrible temper remember so if something didn't go her way it was it was the end of the world so at some point in on stage in front of people she went and bit um gabrielle's ear like on stage to the point where it bled like it almost like felt like was kind of off his his head but they still remained like really close friends that's unforgivable in my book. <laughs> so you know that's pretty amazing yeah um, and she's still, like, super popular. She is, like, I was trying to think of a good comparison for her last night when I was writing my script. And I was like, I guess she's kind of, like, who's someone really problematic? But people still love her. I see. Um, maybe, like, a Kardashian? Yeah. Is she's, like, fair? the Kim K. Yeah. Yeah. I li- yes. Yeah. Problematic enough, but everyone still likes her. Right. <laughs> Still, you know, plays well in the court of public opinion, but but definitely problematic. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um. So yeah, still crowd's favorite. So seventeen oh three rolls around, and she meets the love of her life, and it's the Marquise de Flor- Florence. I can barely say that name. I'm so sorry, but it's a woman. Okay, it's it's the wife, <laughs> and she her name was Mary Mary Louise. Um, I'm not going to try and try and get that correct last name. Um, and she was married. She had two children, but she was known as the most beautiful woman of all of France at this point. And this is before Marie Antoinette. So, <laughs> so known as the most beautiful woman of France. And they meet love at first sight. It's, and it's actual love this time. It's not anything else. And they commit. Um, and she was being harassed by other people because, you know, politics. So they leave and go to Brussels. Leave the kids behind. They just go to Brussels. And at this time, it's kind of like kind of normal to like go off and leave your kids with a nanny or something. But mm-hmm. they go to Brussels and they live together until uh, Mary died in 1705. So they had like two, three years together. 
And we actually know that this happened and that they were like super devoted to each other because a lot of people who wrote about Julie were people who didn't like her. And she, a lot of people didn't like her. But this guy named Louis de Riveau was like, he hated Julie. But he wrote this about her. And because it's so nice, we can assume it's probably accurate. So this is what he said about the two women. For two years, they lived in this tenderness they thought ideal, urethral and beyond the reach of the stain of men. I love that sentence. The young women isolated themselves, enamored, only appearing in public on occasions where their presence was essential. Indeed, one finds after 1702, no songs or satire against the two women. So, like, that's such a nice thing to write about someone that you hate. Right, right. That's got to be, there has to be some veracity to that. Because if you're, you know, writing something so kind about somebody you detest, yeah. you know, that, that that has to be coming from a real place. Yeah. Maybe jealousy, but, <laughs> right. but yeah, just that, that first sentence. For two years, they lived in tenderness. They thought ideal. Urethral and beyond the reach of the state of men. That's a great sentence. <laughs> that, is, that, that is quite amazing. Um, and so, like I said, she, um, Mar- Mary died in 1705. And so then Julie goes back to Paris because what's she going to do, you know? She reunites with her husband for a little bit. We don't know if that's accurate. And then she leaves to go enter a, a convent. And then she died in 1707 at age 33. So within two years, a year and a half of her love dying, which if you look at studies, most like most marriage couples die within a year of each other. Wow. So like... There's scientific evidence there that they were like actually together. Coincidental. It's a coincidence, but <laughs> still. Right. There's, there must be something to that, right? Exactly. So like I said, we don't know how much this is accurate. And I want to get more into that, but I want to remind you that it is the fun drive. Right. But, be, but before that, let's have some music. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to go to some music. Do you want to set the, up the, the music piece we're about to hear at all? Yeah. So... Your opening song today was by Jan- um, Jan- uh, what's her name? Uh, Janelle Monet. Monet, yeah. Yes, I'm so sorry, guys. I had a brain fart. <laughs> so you know, queer non-binary icon, him presenting. This song was also by an amazing queer female icon. You'll know it when you hear it. <laughs> Supposed to 
Welcome back, loves. In this day and age, it's more important than ever to support the causes that you believe in. If you want to support the LGBTQIA plus community in Bloomington, please consider making a donation to our community-supported radio station, WFHB. We have a goal of a big old $100, and I think that you can help us. You can donate a million dollars, or you can only donate five. Everything helps sustain us. And please help make us make our goal. There's a typo there in my script. <laughs> please help us make our goal by going to WFHB.org and click the big red donate button. It's big, it's red, it's kind of queer, and you can't miss it. Or you can call 812-323-1200. Again, that's 812-323-1200. And talk to one of our volunteers to donate. You could also get an awesome, really cool-looking sweatshirt from us that was designed by a local tattoo shop. Right, that's Time and Tide Tattoo here locally. It's also printed by, in case of emergency press, also local. So you know, you know, if you're donating to get that sweatshirt, you know it's coming from from local money. Yep, and you can get this sweatshirt if you donate up to two hundred forty dollars, and this can be done either in one chunk if you have got you know a little bit extra dough in the back pocket. Or you can do it over a span of 12 months. Again, you can donate at WFHB.org and hit the big red donate button. Or you can call 812-323-1200. And make sure to tell them that Blooming Out sent you. All right. (laughs) So the people who are just tuning in, um, I'm all by myself today. Melanie and Justin aren't here and my producer Kate is with us, so that's a new voice. <laughs> I am. I'm the I'm the new voice here. I'm just I'm here for moral support, and you know I'm just fascinated listening to you tell this history. I think this is just just wonderful and things I, I had not known before. So I'm I'm looking forward to what else you have in store today, Cal. You say you're a new voice, but you've been behind the scenes forever. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I'm not on air quite a bit with the Blooming Out crew. You know, oftentimes I'm behind the boards. So this is this is new for me. Well, thank you for being here and thank you for all you do. Well, thank you for having me. This is just great. All right. So before the break, we were talking about a fabulous lady named um, Julie d'Aubigny in France during the 17th century. She's did all all these things. She's bisexual. um, Using common day terms, she dresses in men's clothing. She burns down... convents and at some sword fights and mugs creepy dudes like a superhero okay but how much of this is true like that is such an insane story is this too good or bad to be true like we had this french sword fighting bisexual lady that quite literally embodied the phrase be gay and do crimes like let's talk about it it's a lot people it's a lot so there's some history we have to know when we look at the context of these stories. Julie died in 1707. A lot of what we know about her, a lot of things that was wrote about her, happened right after, like, after she died when she couldn't defend herself. So one, that's, that's her big thing. We don't know how accurate this is, and she didn't get a say in her story. Two, at that time, it was incredibly common to accuse women of being somehow queer as a way to publicly shame them, especially if they're doing it in a predatory or aggressive manner. We actually see that in the French Revolution a lot. Um, Like the other day, not the other day, but this happened a while ago, but I came across some of my students who had found something online that was saying that Marie Antoinette was like bisexual. 
and they were being like, oh my God, look, this historical figure, she's like, this is representation. That's so cool. And I felt so bad to have to go to him and be like, yo, the, the, the Jacobites were saying that to make her seem like a bad person. And like, I had to put it in context. Right. And it's, it's not that representation they're looking for. It's, it's hurled as an insult, right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, is it a celebration of this person or is it an accusation? That's also something we have to look at. Now, what we also do know is that on Julie's own account, through her diaries and stuff, she liked to dress in men's clothing. She was a woman who liked to dress in men's clothing. She was very clear that she is a woman. And she was very clear that she likes men and women. And, like, docu- like documented her, her relationships and stuff. So we know that. We just don't know the quite extent of everything that happened, you know? And what we also have at that time, the newspapers, um, the magazines, the, you know, their TikTok, their Instagram, their Facebook, it wasn't factual. There was no, like, false information, alternate facts. Like, that didn't, like, that check didn't exist. And a lot of it was really gossip. The first ever journalist who was a woman can't remember her name right now um she didn't she she published gossip right and for politics she she published political gossip but she also talked about julie and did she hated julie everyone hated julie <laughs> um, but she's from this period too and the, like i said the printed lit very gossipy not factual at the same time at that time period it wasn't rare to see a woman in men's clothing running around sword fighting. Really? It wasn't common, but it wasn't unheard of. I see. So that that portion of Julie, we'd be like, okay, we okay, we can we can do that. Because I mean, Joan of Arc at this time, she's happened. Has, yeah, she's happened. Right, right. <laughs> um so like that's not not common, but it's not to the point where it's rare or unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, at this point, we see um, era and literature in U- European literature written f- by men for men that focuses on treating women, especially sapphic and lesbian women, um, making those characters experience extreme violence as a form of pleasure for the man and either them being punished for it, either by them getting sick or like an act of God or them being killed or being quote unquote cured by a man. It's so big at this point in literature. So we know it's happening. So let's go back to the convent story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, or just Julie's story overall. We have this woman. She's, and each time her relationships end in ruin and she ends up going back to her husband and then she dies alone in a convent or, you know, her girlfriend breaks up with her or her lover dies. In literary sense, she's being punished for her quote unquote crimes. Right. That kind of jives with what you're saying was common in literature at the time. So that, you know, that's maybe an argument for, you know, there might be some legend behind this, right? Yes, exactly. There's a lot, um, this, maybe that um, style of writing seeped into those who were writing about her 
and falsified the history for their own, you know, ways of thinking, their ways of thought for their pleasure for to align with their beliefs. And that's not accurate, though, because you're punishing her, a, a bisexual woman, you're punishing her by making her go to a convent. Right. We just talked about that. Convents are very gay. <laughs> <laughs> At least were very gay historically until the Catholic Church changed a little bit of their rules and a bunch of lesbian women left the church. That's a story for another day. <laughs> um, so that also kind of makes me think that a lot of these stories, especially maybe the convent or her, like, quote unquote, seeing her husband or like dying in a convent, makes me think that that's not real or that she went to a convent as a quote unquote punishment. Because if I was her, I would go to a convent, uh, a convent because right. I would see that as a safe place, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. So, yeah, there's some argument there. Right. There's definitely some nuance. And it, yeah. it kind of reminds me of, I mean, not just to, to draw a parallel, kind of like uh, King Arthur in a way, not exactly to the <laughs> T, but like, you know, there there's a historical part of it. And then there there's like a legend. And mm-hmm. then where where do those two meet and you know there seems to be much more facts and figures on this than king arthur like whether he was a real person or not but i i draw that parallel to be like you know there's kind of that same thing at play distinguishing between fact and fiction mm-hmm. right. fun fact my family alleged allegedly i don't know if that's the right word is yeah. descended from a knight of the round table oh. demarst that's wow. where Dimmery comes from. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. That's fascinating. <laughs> My uncle's at that stage where he's like super into genealogy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, <laughs> back to topic. So yeah, you're having this weird nuance of legend and fact, and we don't know what it is. And at the same time in the period of France, um, there was kind of, I don't want to call it a sex revolution because that's not what it was, but... There is a lot, there's a lot of people who have come to terms with their sexuality, who are more open about sexuality at this time period and the decades following, because this is like right before the American Revolution happens in the French Revolution. If you know anything about Benjamin Franklin in France, you know some stuff was getting down with, regarding sexuality. You should Google that. <laughs> it's quite an, insane is my keyword of the day. Uh, um... So like you have this movement of budding, opening sexuality, but at the same time you have this very powerful Catholic church that is wanting to stay hold of its power. You know, it's wanting to be tied to the key. It's wanting to be like, you have to live your life a certain way and they're at odds right. and people don't really know how to cope with this. Like on all levels of the world, uh, all levels of class, mm-hmm. they don't know how to cope. So what is a better way than take someone who's controversial Say that she did this thing that make you feel vindicated against the church. Making her burn down a co- convent, killing, uh, burning and just desecrating the body of a nun. Of course they would do that. Right, to their political advantage or societal advantage or yeah, whatever you want to call cause it. Because it, it would make them feel vindicated. Mm-hmm. Even if that's not accurate because that's someone, someone that you can put a scapegoat on. Right. Even if it's not real. You know? And... Also in this era, nuns were seen as villains in a lot of literature. Maybe not villains, but no, no villains. <laughs> um, <laughs> Diderot wrote this book called The Nun, 
don't read it. It's not very good, in my opinion. But it's a, it's about a nun who seduces another woman, another nun, and then, like, treats her really terribly and ends up, like, killing her. Like, Diderot was a bad... Was, he wasn't nice, okay? <laughs> I don't like Diderot. Right. Um, but at this time, nuns often were made the villains because the male writers were scared of the female power in convents. They had anxieties about the power that women had in convents. So, of course, they would villainize the nuns in their writing. So, yeah, let's make Julie a nun. You know? Right. She's this controversial person. We're going to make her a nun. Right, to kind of suit their their own uh, needs to, to control the narrative, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and this was also... Vilifying nuns, vil- villainizing convents by men, like d- by male writers, was also a way to deal with their anxieties about sapphic women, because like it was kind of underground knowledge that convents were very gay, and a lot of writers, including Diderot, had this anxiety that like their female loved one would be sent to a convent and be seduced by a woman, like it was a legitimate fear for these homophobic men, <laughs> <laughs> homophobic misogynistic uh, men. So, of course, they're going to make Juliet to be the seductress who, one, is also violent against the church, but also later becomes a nun. Like, she's just hitting all their brackets of their villain, of their fictional villains. So, how do we know what's real and what's not? Totally. And back to your point, like, she wasn't, uh, she's not alive, obviously, now to, to tell her side of the narrative, right? Yeah. I mean, we have maybe some diaries from her, some more truthful accounts than others, but she this, these came out like 50, 100 years after she died. Like, there was no way for her to defend herself at this point. Right. Or anyone who was friends with her, you know? Um, like I said earlier, also just the gossip of accusing a woman of being sapphic or queer was kind of an insult. Um, and this happened... I talked about how it happened in the French Revolution. It was all the time. If you study French literature, it's in there a lot. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Is it dangerous to look at to look at and celebrate historical accounts of queerness without interrogating the environment for which it was written in and for? You know, is this a celebration or is it an accusation? We don't know. <laughs> and with Julie, there's so many things. And this is, this was compiled from, like, hundreds of accounts of her. She kind of has the same status that like George Washington cannot tell a lie cherry tree story has. Right. Okay. So there's a ton of different stories. So we really, we we know there's a a figment of truth in a lot of, in most legends, but we really don't know everything. Right. So I think it's so interesting that we can look at how women are villainized and how that applies to story, but also we can look at, Hey, this woman is defying the odds. And we know that these small facets of her life were actually pretty accurate at the time. So how much, how, how accurate is the other things? That's super interesting. Totally. So was Julie actually queer? Well, she missed loving a woman and men. The stories of her romantic affairs with men came out years after stories about her with women. So that makes it kind of equally possible because why would, why would the men come after the women? Like that is not how that works. <laughs> Um, and besides the convent fire, the tales of a lot of her relationships were not written in a defamatory manner, especially her relationship 
with um, Madame de Fossac, the Mary, Mary. Yeah, that was not done in a uh, defamatory manner at all. And, you know, she's definitely queer, sapphic, historical figure. She was a skilled swords fighter. Um, she, did not make her, she was not afraid to make herself heard or her queerness known. And for that, I think we can say that she was an awesome LGBTQIA plus historical figure. I think I can agree with you, too. And, and you know, um, I think there's something to that, um, you know, having that story there and having those icons, whether some of the specific details were true or not, um, I think, like, what you take away from the story, mm-hmm. um, there there has to be some kind of thing there, right? Yeah. And I also, I'm con- consistently fascinated by how we would interpret her in this time versus then. Like, if these meant to be insults to her, and then us, like, not even 40 minutes ago, and we're being like, oh, wow, wow, really? She's so cool, you know? Right, where today that might be seen as, like, positives, you know? And so... Well, to us. <laughs> right, right, right. Maybe to some, right? Yeah. So, yeah. She's so cool. I love her. <laughs> yeah, and these stories are just fascinating. I mean, it, it literally has this legend-like quality. Yeah. So, yeah, she is so cool. I can't get over that. I think she's awesome. You want to else who's awesome? Everyone who donates to our fund drive. Absolutely. We want to hear from you. You know, we would love to hear from you. So, um, I know it'll be a little bit early, but before I sign off, I want to give you one last reminder that it's WFHB's fund drive or fund drive, F-U-N-D versus F-U-N. It's both. It's both, yeah. <laughs> this means that we are going to be asking you, our dear listener, to open your hearts and wallets and call into our volunteers catching the phones here at WFHB at 812-323-1200. Again, that's 812-323-1200. Or you can go to WFHB.org and support the show and all of the award-winning ones that WFBA, WFHB airs. Tongue twister. <laughs> we have such a wide variety of programming from traditional music um, offerings that span the genres to local to international. We also have the widest selection of communi- community-oriented public affairs shows in the state. And we also have the longest-running LGBTQIA plus show in the nation. Us! Blooming out. Our local news goes deep into events that are affecting you. So if you appreciate the programming you get here at WFHB, our Community Conscious Volunteer Network, our dedication to the people of our listening area, then consider investing into your community by investing in WFHB. You have more than one way to really contribute to our community and its people. Go to WFHB.org and call or call into the state. I'm losing air. <laughs> <laughs> or call into the station's volunteers working our working our phones at 812-323-1200 and give. We all can do that. And you can tell them that Blooming Out sent you. Absolutely. And I just want to say one quick thing, Cal, mm-hmm. if I may. Um, we were talking about the the hoodie earlier, right? Yes. And you could do a $240 one-time donation to get that hoodie, or you can do 20 bucks a month. And mm-hmm. frankly, I chose the $20 a month option, and I encourage other people too as well. And on this show right here right now, if I may, mm-hmm. I want to challenge a listener out there to mm-hmm. match that donation. So just $20 a month, go ahead and give us a call, visit our website, Again, the the website's wfhb.org. Our phone number is 812-323-1200. We'd love to hear from you. And I'm challenging you to match that donation for the Blooming Out crew right here, right now.
yeah, I mean, what, $20 a month? That's, what, a week's worth of my coffee in the morning so I can just make it at home? Right. Yeah. You know, I think it's very doable. And you get this very, very cool hoodie. It's, it is so cool. Yeah, it's a black <laughs> zip-up hoodie. You got WFHB in the heart on the front. On the back, you have a radio tower overlooking the hills of South Central Indiana. It's it's quite amazing. So just want to put that challenge out there. All right. It's that time of day, people. I got to sign off. But just remember, Julia Albany is pretty cool. Blooming Out is a production of WFHB Community Radio, produced by Melanie Davis and Cade Young. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Cal Demery. And remember, if queerness didn't exist, your family tree couldn't produce any fruitiness. Be well, stay safe, speak truth, manifest equity, demand justice, stop the hate, and take the power back. And good night from your Blooming Out family. Am I allowed to look at her like that? Could it be wrong when she's just so nice to look at? And she smells like lemongrass and sleep. She tastes like apple juice and beach. Oh, you would find her in a Polaroid picture And she means everything to me I'd never tell no, I'd never say a word And though it aches But it feels oddly good to hurt And she smells like lemongrass and sleep She tastes like apple juice and peach of nothing at all And she smells like lemongrass and sleep She tastes like apple juice and peach Or you would find her in a Polaroid picture And she 